You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Here we go, Sherry. Let Sherry baby rock your soul. She's gonna help you break the mold. She's super magic, truth be told. Ooh, oh, oh, oh. Got lots and lots of musical glow. Spirituality, conviviality, sexuality. Quality time on the air. Quality time on the air. Quality time on the air. With Sherry, Hey everybody, it's Sherry Sanders from Cause and Effect. And I have to tell you before we start this um, incredible podcast that I'm super excited about, um, I want to kind of fill you in. Uh, as of now, um, I guess, let's see, we're, uh, we are, I guess, over the New York hump of the pandemic, at least that's the experience I had. And since the last time that I did a podcast, uh, we've gone from being in person to being online. Um, and so what's kind of amazing is that the entire universe has gone through this gigantic upheaval, <laughs> upheaval since this happened. And so I'm meeting Joy, at, uh, who is here with me today, and I can't wait to introduce her, but I'm meeting her at this sort of very wild junction um, of all of our lives, which is that we've just been kind of very severely traumatized and now we don't know what's next. And so I just wanted to let everybody, all of our listeners know that this is the moment that Joy and I are in. And so this is where we're meeting you in our conversation. Um, but I just want to thank everybody for being here because we are alive and we're here and we're rebuilding the theater community together. And that's the good that came out of this tricky situation. So welcome to Cause and Effect. Um, I want to introduce you to a super special human being, not just to me, but to the entire theater community. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my interpretation of our guest today, who is Joy Doing. <laughs> it's a pretty great interpretation, if you don't mind my saying so. Um, but uh, Joy Doing uh, was a casting director in New York City for many, many years. Joy, of course, you can add to this when you get here. But um, I knew Joy as kind of uh, a, a great player in the casting industry. She started out with Dave Clemens. Um, and that was actually the first time that I had actually met Joy was that we were both sitting down. Uh, I had a free ticket and she had a free ticket to the Scottsboro Boys, um, <laughs> which was kind of amazing because the reason why Joy is here with me is because we're going to talk about being allies and being in the Black community as friends and helpers. Um, and we actually met as human beings having an experience of 
what I would consider really excellent theater um, about a Black experience. And so since then, Joy and I have found with each other that we both have a role that we've played in the community. Um, and our role is the same role, but we've been playing it several, uh, playing the role separately, and then oftentimes together as collaborators. Um, and that role is, as I mentioned before, as an ally in the community, as a white person who is in service to other people, and right now in particular, to the Black community. Um, but we've always been pretty heavy hitters with making sure that the Black community uh, is seen, understood, and lifted, at least if we were around. So I've always known that about Joy, right? I've always known that Joy is somebody who cares about other people. And I want to give a really great example as a casting, direct, uh, as a casting director why I would say that Joy cared about the community past what her responsibilities were. Not only was Joy always a person where whenever somebody would come in and audition for her, they always felt seen and understood and cared about as a human being, regardless of what they were experiencing. Like everybody would always say, oh, I always left Joy's room feeling seen. That's one. Two, Joy knew what I was doing as a human being, trying to help people, right? And trying to make sure people's experiences auditioning was better. And Joy knew that I was a person who was walking around going, okay, we got to teach people how to communicate feel versus tempo in when you're giving, you know, a pop, putting a pop rock song down on the piano and explaining that as a casting director, she saw that that was an issue. So can I tell you what Joy did? If you don't know that she already did this, get a load of this. Joy had me come in and to the auditions for both Rent and I believe in Kinky Boots as well. These are for the national tours and had me come in and several times during the course of the day, I would, so I would sit in the audition room and watch the auditions. And then I would also pop out every couple of rounds. And so go, Hey everybody. Um, Joy wanted me to come out and teach everybody how to communicate feel to a piano player. And we wanted to give this gift to you for free for your auditions today, because we want you to come in being your best self. Can you imagine? Joy gave everybody the gift of being better for free so that they can do a better job so that she can do a better job casting the show. So basically she said, hey, everybody, I want to take care of us all. So here's Sherry. <laughs> and this is just an example of why Joy mattered when she was here in the city with us in New York City and why she was brought to work at Disney. So I want to do a quick introduction uh, to Joy by saying that she is a Shiro. She is somebody who has shown up in the industry and for years and years and years before anybody started to care was already caring. Welcome, Joy. Wow. How was that for an introduction? <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot to say about you. Whew, I'm overwhelmed with that introduction. And it uh, brought back so many great memories of us doing the work together and kind of figuring it out. Yeah, we, fi we were figuring it out on the job before anybody was forced into having to figure it out. Right, because right. there's so much fear around uh, doing and saying the wrong thing um, in those days. And, and I think there were a lot of us who really wanted to be allies and especially in the casting community, because our goal is always to find the best talent. And it was often a struggle to, to truly find a diverse cast. 
and a cast that really reflected the world that we live in. Um, and that was always a big challenge for us. And so... Um, Can I ask why you felt it was the biggest challenge at the time? Was it just a lack of, of uh, exposure to the diversity that we're looking for and hungry for? I mean, that is... That's the $64,000 question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it, it, it becomes a chicken and the egg thing. So at the very beginning, we started the conversation by saying we need a more diverse cast, right? We need to, um, we need to work harder to, to put people on the stage that reflect the world around us. Mm-hmm. And that's going to reflect the audience back to them. That's uh, inclusive. Right. And that an audience member could see themselves on the stage. Exactly. Rather than just a bunch of white people. Right. Exactly. Having privilege. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. So we start the conversation with, we need to do more of this. And the conversation evolved from there. And so... Who was the conversation start, between? Do you mind if I ask? Who was the conversation between? You were saying we. Is it the right. casting society? that Because you, you were one of the three members of the diversity department of the casting society? Is that right? right. So Rosalie Joseph and David Capraliotis and I were the um, co-chairs of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee at CSA in New York. And it was um, renamed recently to more uh, encompass the the moment that we find ourselves in and to make it much more inclusive and much more about um, anti-racism rather than this buzzword of diversity, diversity. which is kind of a meaningless word now because right. it, it feels like a word that corporations use to meet a certain quota. <laughs> yes. or, to, or tokenism, <laughs> right. And it doesn't... Tokenism. Yeah, and a lot of the time it doesn't include neurodiversity or disability. It's always about color yeah. and filling a quota to make the audience happy or to for, it's ultimately always for money, right? Exactly. Yes. And and to not get in trouble. And to not get in trouble, right? <laughs> so the new Woo-hoo. name of the committee is the CSA's Alliance for Equity in Entertainment. CSA Alliance for Equity in Entertainment. Okay, that's better because now we're looking at equity versus diversity, which is that everybody gets treated equally. And if that means giving somebody the ability to have something for no money where somebody might have to pay because they don't have access, they get the same access because they deserve the same opportunities. Right. And and we're also unpacking the difference between the word equity and the word equality because equality means you treat everyone the same. Equity means that not everyone, to, to acknowledge that not everyone has the same access. Right. And uh, to work to level the playing field. Right. So that everyone can be truly equal, but you can't achieve equality without equity. Right. It takes equity to have equality. I think the first question that I want to ask is, can you remember the first moment that you had where you're like, uh-oh, this is part of my calling. I'm not just a casting person. I actually am like a mobilizer or an ally or an advocate or that my work goes much further past what my responsibilities are. It's also where my heart is and where my integrity is as a human being on the planet. When did that happen? Well, I think I, I came by it honestly because my mom is a, she is a warrior. Um, she, when I was, before I was born, she was out there burning her bras and going to marches <laughs> and, 
and all up in it, um, all so up the, in the fight for equality. And um, so the apple was fall. in her teens and twenties. She was already doing it, and so I grew up watching her be a part of the marches on Washington and um, the fight for equality. Um, and then she even went to, she lived at Standing Rock for three months oh <laughs> during, my the, God. during the protest for the Dakota <laughs> pipeline. Um, she got was, arrested several times. But this was as an adult. This was as a grown woman with kids because that's when it was. Yeah. So she's going to do be this person till the end of time. And, exactly. so will, and so will you. Yeah. So I think I came by it, honestly. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was always in me. Mm-hmm. And looking back in my career, the first moment that I can pinpoint really getting my hands in and doing the work was right after Hurricane Sandy. Mm-hmm. There was, I had been involved in a CSA initiative called Meals for Monologues. And that was started by, that's great. (laughs) That was started by Claire Simon, who is a Chicago based casting director. Um, And what we would do is we would have a day of auditions and uh, we got pianists to volunteer to play. We got Pearl Studios donated space. And uh, I, um, and I got a, a bunch of casting directors together and we sat in a room and we watched auditions and uh, the performers coming into audition would bring canned goods. And then uh, when that was over, we shoved it all into a zip car <laughs> <laughs> and drove it to the local food pantry. And uh, we all helped deliver it and inappropriate 30 in the morning. And uh, then we stayed in the pantry, a bunch of us, and helped um, kind of put the food together and give it out to uh, those who were waiting to receive it. And that, I think, was the start of my of my activism really dovetailing in a concrete way with my career. And I'll tell you, I think the difference between the time before that and the time after that was in, that I was empowered to make decisions on my own. So the meals for monologues thing came after I became a partner with Dave Clemens. So it was uh, Clemens doing casting for a year. And then uh, after that, Dave left the business and I started joy doing casting and being in a position of being empowered to make decisions and to just say, this is important to me and I want to do it and to rally the team together and make it happen. Right. That's what made a huge difference for me is having that power to just do it. And how good it felt to actually be like, I am in a position to actually want to do something and to be able to execute it without interference or having to go through red tape or whatever that is. Exactly. And there's something it pow- empowering to be in a leadership position and know, oh, well, while I'm here. I might as well use the privilege I have, right? <laughs> yeah. What's interesting for me is I just always, um, I don't know, I've always felt like I was, uh, I'm going to use the word um, uh, an, an oddity or different. And so I was always compelled to 
be fascinated or interested in, interested in or in admiration of anybody who was different and was able to be in the world differently. And so it started out for me sort of always looking at the differences in people um, and then and then think, oh my God, how are you in the world? And what, what would you need to be able to be in the world like everybody else? That was just kind of my always being a spiritual person. It, for me, the first time I realized that I was in a position to be an ally was that I was at a school and I had a black student come up to me and say, Sherry, my, you, you're very open and you speak very openly about race and about gender expression and about sexuality and all the things you speak openly about. So I have to speak openly to you and tell you that the person who's running our program is racist. And can you speak to her? And that was the moment that I was like, okay, let's go. And so it was to me, just as a human being who was like, well, I'm teaching about race and I'm teaching about uh, segregating and integrating and, and appropriation and appreciation. But w- and that's just as a teacher, but as a human being, I have to be the white woman who can speak up on behalf of all of the um, kids of various colors and flavors and textures and speak to their Um, to the authority figures who mistreat them or misunderstand them or misrepresent them. And so that's how it started for me. You had already laid all that groundwork when someone called on you and said, it's your time to step up. You were able to do it. And how did that, how did that feel? Was there any trepidation or fear in that moment? How did it feel? No, because um, a lot of the teachers and facilitators looked up to me and listened to me. So in a way, I was kind of like, this is kind of great. Because where other people like black kids or trans kids or anybody who's trying to say, can you just see me? Uh, If I say, hey, can you do me a favor? You're not seeing these folks. Then they're like, oh, my God. It was like their immediate response because I was white made them jump. And so I realized, oh, wow, until you could speak for yourself, I'm going to speak for you. And not for you, meaning that you can't speak. I'm going to basically say, you have to let this person speak. And being in that position was exciting, empowering, joyous, and it made a difference. And so I realized, wow, if I could teach other people to do this, and that's my position, is that now it isn't just me doing it, but I could say, hey, everybody, we all have to do this now. Um, And that was helpful for me. And then the second thing that I wanted to add, which I think this is immediately turning a subject back to why I'm having you here, is I've always sort of admired and appreciated and idolized Black people. Because I feel like they created all the music and all the culture and everything that I love and appreciate and, and, and acknowledge in myself and all of the soulfulness that I have, I got from Black people. So I've always been in a state of admiration and awe. And when a Black girl came up to me and said, I think you're hot, I kind of was like, huh? Wait a minute, I could go out with Black women and not just obsessively appreciate, like, admire them, toenail to curler? And then when that happened, I ended up date, having very serious relationships with three black women with various backgrounds, some of them mixed, some of them, like there's many, two of them were mixed, one was um, entirely black. And I, that's when I realized it was as bad as I had always heard, that everything that I had always heard the black community go through peripherally, I realized is very, very true and that we have no sense of how bad it was. And my being in intimate relationships with black women made me realize the depth and the girth of it. And I had more to do. I had more to do than I could even imagine. So between you and I, right, we have personal and professional reasons yes. for why we've been doing this for this long. Yes. 
And I grew up in a, in a world that was truly diverse um, in every way, except for gender. There wasn't growing up in the early eighties when I was a kid, there wasn't really in my world, at least space for gender expression. And so that's something that I, um, when I went, it wasn't until I went to college that I was really exposed to the, to uh, more of a full spectrum of gender expression and sexuality. But certainly in my childhood and through high school, I lived in uh, the suburbs of Washington, DC. I don't think I even knew that. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I went to high school and uh, mostly elementary school that was predominantly black. I knew that. And, um, and so I was really immersed in the culture and the black community at that time. And, and I felt very much like an outsider, but as an outsider, I got to observe and learn from the people in my environment and, and like you really learn to respect and embrace and kind of be awed by the culture, um, and the history. And, um, you know, I was exposed to black leaders like Malcolm X before, I think before school exposed you to it. Yeah. 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 So, um, so black history wasn't a month. It was all the time. Um, and so I think I, I developed an appreciation there. Um, and I lived in very poor neighborhoods growing up. And so those were, you know, of course, more diverse neighborhoods. And, um, and I had friends who were black and Latinx and disabled. And I had a cousin who has a, uh, has still have a cousin who has a disability and uses a wheelchair. So whenever I go to a place like Orange County, where I currently am, or um, Arizona, where my sister lives, it is, it feels very strange to me to walk around and see such a high percentage of white, fully abled people. I feel like I'm on another planet because mm-hmm. it doesn't been more comfortable around a world that was really, truly reflecting of my own world, which is the real world and yeah. what we need to see on stage. Um, Joy, uh, I want to talk about being an ally with you now, because that's what you and I call ourselves proudly. Yes. Um, and, um, that does not mean we're perfect. <laughs> No, in fact, I think that's that's one of the keys to to um, to you and I being uh, be, having some degree of success in terms of the help of, of the um, in terms the of impact the impact we had on the table. Yes, and the impact and being able to be a strong support is that we are fearless. <laughs> We're fearless, and we we like to take risks. We enjoy taking risks. And we are able and we desire to have the feedback. We desire to hear feedback when we misstep and when we make a mistake or when we hurt someone or, you know, unintentionally. That's right. Um, and we, we are open and desirable to desiring to hear that feedback. And that yes. makes a huge difference because it's very hard not to get defensive when you're trying really hard to be helpful. And, you know, someone calls you out on something that you did that was not so helpful. And it's very difficult to hear that, um, especially for a sensitive, creative human like myself. It's very hard to hear, hey, you messed up mm-hmm. and you actually made me feel bad. Right. And it's hard to, um, to, to push past the initial response of 
but, but that's not what I meant to do, but that's not, but I'm, but I'm trying. And why are you mad? Why are you getting mad at me? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really been an evolution to just stop and take a breath in that moment and say, I could choose to go down that path of getting defensive and making this about me, or I could just stop and take a step back and really, um, put up a wall, kind of compartmentalize my own feelings and realize that it's not about me and it's not about how I feel in this moment. Mm -hmm. And it's about really digging in and understanding the other person's feelings and the other person's perspective. And how could I go back and reroute my action in that moment and make a better choice so that next time I can just continue to grow as an ally and do better next time. Well, Joy, first of all, that was really beautifully said. And what I want to do, because basically you, you just told everybody how to be a great ally, which is to take a note. This is something that as actors, it is our job to take a note and to not give an attitude about it, right? And to just say, okay, awesome. And if you need further clarification, ask for it. And then to try and work that note until that note is real in you and lived in you, right? That's the healthy way to do it. But, uh, but, but the first thing that I want to do is step back for a second and say, if you were going to define what being an ally is in today's world, uh, uh, today in the world, we are in, I was going to say we're in the heat of Black Lives Matter, except I'm daring to say that we were in the heat and it's starting to cool off and it's not okay. Um, it shouldn't cool off this much. We've got to make sure that we've got, you know, plans in place as an industry to kind of keep it moving and changing. But what do you think being an ally is today in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of Black Lives Matter, in the middle of an industry that needs to shift and change big time? What is an ally? What is an ally? That's a great question. <laughs> because it can look like a lot of different things, right? It can. It definitely can. I think mm -hmm. it, at its at its core, being an ally means to first listen. Right. And first hear. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Listen to hear and to understand. And then learn about what you have heard. Mm -hmm. um, if someone, for example, says... Um, stop killing us. Okay. <laughs> right. Now I've heard it. I've heard the stop killing us. And I hear right. that you, you are, you feel like you are being killed. Yes. And what, where is that coming from? And as an ally, I think our best course of action is not to go to that person and to say, um, excuse me, um, your sign says stop killing us. Can you explain to me what that means? <laughs> you have Google. So yes. what you want to do is learn about what that means. How are black people being killed? And there are so many ways in which black bodies are treated as dispensable by American society. That's right. Um, and so, and I'm just, I'm just kind of chunking off America as a society because it's where we live and where we have. It's where we're at. We're yeah. not alone in our racism, no. in our inequality, but it is where we are. It's where we live. Right. And it is where we do our work as allies. So, um, so how are black bodies being killed? There are books that you can read on the subject. Killing the Black Body is one of them. Um, there's one that is specifically about uh, killing the woman's body, the black woman's body. Mm -hmm. And there are many ways in which black people are being killed. And one might be that black women are three times more likely to die in pregnancy or childbirth, mm -hmm. three times. 
or any medical issues. Yes. That come up. Right. Yes. Um, and I mean that, that, that hits at our basic core, which of, of humanity, which is procreation and survival. Right. right. So if you're, if your mothers are dying and your babies are dying, uh, then you, uh, then your chance for survival is, is very limited because mm-hmm. you have to procreate and you have to support, um, you have to support that process of procreation and of creating new babies and taking care of them. And as a society, that is our most basic responsibility to care for our children. Right. right. So, and then when they grow up, they're, much more black boys are much more likely to be killed by cops. Why is that? So, so you continue to learn and you continue to process um, everything that you have learned. And as you learn, you start to come up with ideas of how you can act. And that's when as an ally, you can be a leader and you can get a group together. You can uh, create a Facebook group. There's many ways you can do it, but to be a leader as an ally, you help others learn, you help, you help educate other people that you know, and, uh, you can lead them into a march. You can lead them into an action. So there's three L's for you. Listen, learn, and lead. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And the other thing that I think is really, really important like this is that I feel there's a lot of people who want to help. For example, you know, when we had um, our friends doing those incredible um, coalition events saying, look, this is the experience that we're having and you need to sit and listen and you have the capacity to lead. So go lead. And everybody was like, yeah, we're going to go lead. And then it was like, yeah. And then people like didn't know how to lead. And so it's almost like we have to open up, I think, open up the conversation about all the different ways you can ally. I'm a big, big, big fan of allying or advocating, uh, particularly for race uh, in the audition room and, and the way that you approach black material and how you care for people of color by how you regard and respect their influence what when you sing, right? But another thing could be just as simple as checking in with your Black friends and saying, can you tell me a little bit more about what your experiences are? And and it's, and it's amazing because if I was going to ask myself what being an ally is, which I'd say the same thing, it's basically going, I have a responsibility in this 
world that when I show up to an audition, when I show up to a rehearsal, when I show up to any kind of a creative space, I am making sure that anybody there who has before been held with disregard gets held with the regard that they should be held in. So same thing that I'm thinking of, say it's a a casting office being totally available for any kind of disability or any kind of shape and size for anybody to come in and, and have whatever they need available. Yes. Is to me being an ally and an advocate. So knowing if you have people who happen to be working with um, blindness or happen to be working with um, deafness or something like that, you get to know, okay, well, we could print this up for them. We can make sure that they, you know, we have this prepared for them. And you just take care of the possibility of anyone. And the only way that you can take care of the possibility of anyone is to actually open your span of consciousness and see, well, who am I? Who is this everyone? Yes. Who is this everyone? And as a, as a casting professional, your responsibility is to remove any barriers that exist for a person to do their absolute best work in the room. And, and if that means making your space wheelchair accessible, if that means, as you said, uh, printing out large type or having an interpreter available, um, or just listening to the experiences that have, that have prevented people psychically from walking into the room and from being comfortable into the room and taking steps to change that. You know, the great news is that I know that all of, all of this can be very overwhelming for a person who, who wants to be a great ally because there are so many options, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. but the great news is that as creative people and as artists, we have the opportunity to create our own allyship. Yeah, to look yeah. the way we needed to look, the way it could look for us independently. Yes, right, exactly. Get to be creative with our allyship. Yeah, to be creative, yeah. create our own allyship because not all of us can march and protest. That's right. Um, some of us just don't want to be on social media right now. Right. Um, but you have options. And what you can do is identify your strengths as right. an ally and what you're passionate about and what your talents are and what you... What you um, what skills that you have that can contribute to the cause and just create your own little world right. of allyship there. Your way of doing it in the way that you are capable of right now in this world. And you use the key word here, which is contribute. You do not have to change it by yourself. And Joy and I oftentimes feel like, oh my God, I'm the only one. <laughs> well, you and I, yeah, well, we do carry, I would say we carry a, uh, uh, a heavyweight yeah. as allies. And I want to talk about that in a second, but you know, when you make it your own and don't try to conform to what everybody's screaming at you to do. And that if you don't do that, you are not an ally. That's not true. You just have to take the time to go, well, what does it mean to me? And does that mean being here for my black friends and being able to get them on their feet in whatever way they need support and in the industry, then that's how you make that contribution. But I think what Joy is saying, we can't look the other way anymore and we can't leave it to the uh, people who are doing the work and say, well, they're doing it. So at least it's getting, I know it's getting done. And I could be like, yay, <laughs> that's not quite allyship. It is again, what Joy said, it takes a certain courage and balls yeah. to show up for another and I want to talk a little bit about that because Joy and I and other people who are allies have had a pretty have had pretty intense conversations about what it is like to carry the weight because it's not a burden 
it's just a weight to carry the weight of being an ally um, to the extent that Joy and I are, because it is part of our calling. Yes. Being an ally. I, there is no doubt in my mind. It is why I'm here. It is a piece of a very, very big puzzle of me. Yes. Um, so and I want right. to, it's not, it's not a burden. It's, no, not at all. It is. We're sharing the weight. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. I love that you just said that. <laughs> it actually means a lot that you said it. Um, so let me then just break into this conversation about the challenges of being an ally and what it means to be that person and to take that on. Because when you take it on in a way that Joy and I have naturally as our calling, it does, there are things that come along with it that I think are worth knowing and understanding. And because we all have to step up in our own way and just know that if we, if Joy and I can work through this in the way that we are, I believe anybody can. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it easy. That why Joy and I, I think, are the people who like when we talk about like the ancestors and the elders that, you know, pave the way for the queers and pave the way for everybody. You know, we all love those folks, but in at a certain point, Joy and I will be your elders <laughs> and we will have paved the way for allyship because we've been doing it for so long and it's why we're why we're here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and kind of give an example of something that I feel like I experience as an ally that I've had to work on that has become um, something that I've had to, and I can't say compartmentalize, but I've had to grow to learn and understand as a part of the process. And can I say before you jump into that story that Please. it's so important that we're talking about this because yeah. in, 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 um, in concert with mental health, because as an ally... Mm -hmm. It's really critical to stay healthy and we're, we're going to be taking on a lot of psychic uh, burdens that we've never had to deal with because of the privilege of our whiteness. Um, and so it's really important to acknowledge that and to keep ourselves healthy and strong so that we can continue doing this work. And thank you for saying that because that's part of why I created the Mental Health First Aid Coalition. We, um, which is um, that I have allied at the sacrifice of my own wellness because I did not know what it would mean and what it would not. And again, I'd never want to call it a sacrifice because what is a sacrifice? What sacrifice is to go, hey, don't talk to him like that. He's a fucking, hu excuse me, he's a fucking human being. He, and he's actually the reason why we're all here doing this. So stop. And, you know, it, it, so I want to talk about, and I like that you use the word psychic because it truly is psychic. It is our psyche that we're, that we're dealing with and our connection to our creativity and our connection to each other. Yes. It is our job. And I'm just going to use this as an, as an, uh, as a, an example, as a, as a white person during the black lives matter movement, it is just like Joy said, it is our job to listen and learn and lead 100%. What we also have to do, though, and Joy mentioned this before, and I want to really open up this idea of knowing that you live and exist in a not knowing place. The not knowing place is the place that everybody's kind of afraid of. I'm afraid, and Joy mentioned it before, I'm afraid I'm going to be, that somebody's going to yell at me because I said the wrong thing. I'm afraid that I'm going to hurt somebody. I'm afraid they're going to hurt me for making a mistake. And I will tell you that that may happen because of what I want to say now. Nobody shows up for black people. <laughs> 
nobody. And to imagine that nobody has shown up for black people for 400 years, right? And you decide, I'm going to show up for black people. You may get their upset because nobody takes it. Nobody listens to them. Nobody cares about them. And I'm not saying nobody as in no, like, yes, of course people care about them. But I would say holistically in the universe, black people are not cared about. They're treated subhuman. Mm -hmm. So when you say, I want to treat you like a human being, and I want to lift you because you deserve that, you are saying, I am open to seeing you and hearing you and understanding you. And so because of that, you have to be ready and available to receive their pain because nobody else is receiving it. Now, I want to also say that I think that Joy agrees with me on this. You... We ha- it is our job to receive their pain. It is actually how we can repair. Yeah. And I'm not sitting here going, why are you yelling at me? I didn't make you a slave. Why are you yelling at me? That's not, they're not yelling at me. They are not yelling at me. They're upset about the way they're being treated and I'm listening. So they're, they're letting, they're, 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 I don't want to say they're giving it to me. They're trying to get it out of their body. They're trying to get it out of their experience. And because you're saying, I want to help you, then they're giving it to you. And so then if they come, if a black person comes aggressively to you while you're an ally, it is our job to say, I hear you and I understand. And I'm sorry for the way people treat you. Tell me about how you would like, how would you like me to see you be treated? And then we hold space for them. And then we have to figure out how to deal with somebody screaming at us when they're not really screaming at us. They just don't want to carry the way somebody else has been treating them anymore. And so that's why we need mental health first aid. And that's why we have to take care of our mental health because we are actually catching 400 years of things that people that don't belong to people. And so what I wanted to say is one, it's our job to be in mental in, in well, in, in our mental wellness as allies But two, I think the other thing that was really important, and I want to give this as an example, is you have to understand that none of it is personal, no matter what. And I want to give you another really cool example. I had a black gentleman reach out to me and say, hey, I want to tell you about this thing that happened with me in the industry. It was really bad. And I know that I could tell you because I know you're an ally. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad you told me this is really important. And then on social media, I saw it come up for another black person. And I responded, you won't believe it, but somebody just talked to me about the same thing. And I think that we have to really show up for you here. This doesn't look, feel great to me, you know? So here I am going, wow, this is a whole nother problem. I didn't even know. And then I had a black person say, auntie, stay out, stay out of it. And I went, but wait a minute, somebody just brought me in. And he said, I know. And so now I'm taking you out. Mm. And I went, okay, got it. How did that feel? It felt like it, it, how did it feel? It's hard to say because in the moment I couldn't personalize it. I just had to say, I understand whatever you're telling me right now that has to happen. I have to believe you and understand you and know that I know that somebody brought me in because I'm an ally and you're telling me, yes, you are an ally, but this is not your place to be an ally. And I know you thought you were, but you actually don't know that. And so I have to go, okay, thank you for the lesson. Thank you for telling me that even though somebody brings me in, if someone tells me it's not the right place for me, I have to go, okay, you got it and leave. And that's where we have to be right now is go, even if it doesn't make sense, (laughs) even if it's obscure, 
and I don't process it or understand it in this moment. I just have to trust you and believe you and then follow. And I so I would, be, I would be intellectually, that would be my, my reaction, right? So I would be probably on the verge of tears. I would be feeling um, probably some form of shame and um, I would be feeling shut down. And, um, and, and, and that's, and I hate that I feel that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I hate that my body and my brain reacts that way. And, um, and I can therapy and, and figure out where that comes Mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that is part of the work we have to do, right? Is that we're just, we are here to listen. And so Joy and I actually had a really interesting conversation one night where we were both feeling particularly, um, tender, tender about our allyship and wanting to, you know, cause we want to be great at it and we want to keep getting better at it. And we know we're going to fail and we know that we're going to hear about it. But there's two things that I think are super helpful. One is I have a few friends of mine that are on my team. Two of my teachers are black. I, I brought them in years ago because I always thought that they needed to be a part of the team. And I asked them, can you be people that I can say, tell me everything. What do I do? What do I need? You know, if something's happening and you see something, can you be like auntie or Sherry, do me a favor? Can you take that down? Or can you shift that language? And they're like, of course, because we know what you're doing. And so that to me is a really, really great way to be an ally is to tell your friends, Hey, I want to be an ally right now. Can you, for lack of a better word, I know that it's my job to do it, but can you keep an eye out on me so that I, that you can, you know, not that I want you to watch me or, you know, but like, I want to be great just peripherally keep your eye out. And if I ever misstep, can you just like lovingly let me know? And that way you've got people on your team who know you're trying to get better. That's a huge For someone that is willing to do that for you, to do that labor for you, that is a huge gift that that person is giving to you as an ally. And it's because he knows, and it's it's Elijah who's on my team, and I'm really excited about having him. I am very lucky, but it is also because Elijah knows that he is my teacher so that I can teach our community. Right. So he's not teaching the children. He's teaching me so I could teach the children as a white woman. Mm-hmm. And so he's helping me because he knows my intention is good. And I think if we can all, I hate to say it, but call upon our friends to say, I don't want you to teach me. I want to teach myself and I want to learn. And will you just keep a tender eye on me and make sure I'm being great? Right. And I think if it comes that way, then you're, what do you you think your friends are going to be like? No, you do it yourself. They're going to be like, of course, we get to do it together as friends, you know. And so that's how I think we can do it. But we do take we do take a, we do carry again. It's not a burden, but it is a weight because we're not. When it's your calling, you have to do it, yes. and. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, and there's no backing down. I wanted to talk about protecting, as an ally, protecting your emotional well-being in a trick that I have found. Wonderful. That I have, that I have found to be effective for me, mm-hmm. which is when you are going into a conversation or a situation in which you are asking to take on uh, an emotional load of someone else. Mm -hmm. For example, you're asking for feedback 
from a friend that you are, that you are being an ally for. Um, and that feedback could be negative. I mean, it could be right. something that would be difficult for you to hear. Right. So when you're going into a situation like that, what I do is I breathe in and when I exhale, I'm exhaling a bubble around myself. It's almost like I am a, I am a little, uh, I'm blowing soap bubbles out of my body and I'm creating this bubble around my body. And I picture it as this like blue shimmering kind of iridescent bubble and it protects my heart and my emotions so that I can go in and I can receive. Um, and rather than taking, taking in any feedback personally and feeling attacked by it because it's, I don't know, triggering something from my childhood or whatever issues, um, that I have in my heart, it just bounces off the bubble and I'm able to be fully present and open and a safe place for that person to land a safe spot for their pain to land without absorbing that pain. And I love it because it's like a psychic bubble. It protects your psyche. Um, and, and you could make it yourself (laughs) just by blowing out the bubble. And this is another thing that I feel like has been helpful for me is, you know, when I think about nurses and I think about right now, it's hard because nurses are uh, nurses and doctors are going through what they shouldn't be going through ever. Yeah. It, I hope that all of their um, <laughs> their uh, uh, what is that called? Their medical school bills all get paid off. Every single doctor and nurse in the history of the universe. After this, I'm so for that, yeah, it's just where the money should go. Um, but nurse personalities have always been a very curious thing to me. When people are like oncology nurses, you know, and they work in the most, or, or, or NICU nurses, right? Mm-hmm. Where they work in these high risk, really emotional, really, really difficult places where everybody is in an, a very, very heightened place. There are certain nurses, or maybe it's just the way that women or, or, or men or anybody who identify who, who is a nurse in the world, right? That they just, it's part of their calling and part of a correct place for their personality, but they know how to be there in crisis and critical critical situations and just know how to serve the person who's in crisis and that that's just part of the way that they get that they're built and so I kind of always imagine in the moment that that's happening where it's like Sherry just be a nurse in the NICU be a nurse in oncology right now and just be like what do you need baby okay I know I know and just be there for that person in the moment and try to do what you can to get them comfortable and safe and then, you know, if it's going out and partying with your friends afterwards and blowing off steam and having drinks or talking to my therapist or doing whatever, you know, it's being able to know that in that moment, it's just in service and it's focused out and it is not for you. You're just receiving it so that this person can heal in some way. And so, and to me, a nurse being, getting, getting the inspiration from nurses it has been super helpful for me because if I could just say, I'm in the moment of a crisis, I'm here to serve, you know, and then I go back and go, okay, what can I do with this later? Knowing that I didn't process it in the same way as somebody going, Sherry, you're bad. You are bad. You're a bad person for making that mistake. Instead, it was like, okay, I made a mistake. I, I, uh, I used the wrong tool or, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and that I can correct that with you right here, right now and shift it. 
because I do think that all anybody wants when they're being advocated for, they don't expect you to be perfect. They expect you to be in a process of change with them. And I think that that's the thing that I know that I want to share with everybody is I know you're scared of being in that middle area of making mistakes. And you should be because it is scary. It's terrifying. It's, it's flying without a net. Yes, it is scary. And I, and I remind myself, I'm not sure that this is super helpful, but I do remind (laughs) myself that what I am feeling, the discomfort that I'm feeling is just a little taste of what our friends in the black community and our friends with disabilities and our, our friends on the gender spectrum have been dealing with for their whole life. Centuries. Centuries. Yeah. So our our little bruised egos in that moment, it's true. They can't compare to the pain and the suffering that people have had to go through living and existing in the margins. And I'm and not sure that's helpful for me because it just makes me feel more guilty about my own discomfort. But what is helpful to me is um, kind of leaning on being a mom because as a mom, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first. That's right. You're not going to be any good to anyone if you're drained and you're just emotionally zapped and you're mentally unhealthy Um and you're depressed and you're letting it get to you, you're not going to be of any help to anybody else. So you have to put your own oxygen mask on first. And I think that that's the big rule we're all learning right now too. And, and, you know, I'll speak more on this on another episode, but you know, we're, we're sort of pioneering having mental health first aid in the theater community. We're really interested in having like the monitors at auditions be trained in mental health first aid. You know, I'm just imagining what kind of new world that would be. Yeah. And so to me, yeah, well, we have to. And that's what I've learned is that I've always been somebody who's a giver. And the idea for all of us, especially if you're going to take on being an ally, is you have to have a series of self-care techniques so that when when somebody's having an experience, you know, in that moment, you can take care of that moment. And then you can go back and you have all of the things that you need to kind of refill your cup because the idea is that you can't give from an empty cup. You have to give from a full cup. And let me just say that Ayanla Van Sant or whatever her name is, Ayanla, save my life, Ayanla Van Sant. She said, my cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. Whatever is in my cup is for me and whatever runneth over is for you. And when she said that, I was like, that's really cool because if it's Uh like that, then the cup always runneth over. The cup is forever runneth over and forever giving to other people because it's always full. And so I think that that's what we want to say is if you're going to be an ally, come with that point of view and you can never feel like somebody's coming at you to take something from you because you're holding space for them. That's really beautiful. Oh, I'm so great. I love, uh, I, I love, love anybody, anybody who's got something to give in that way is like, ah, um, I want to, I want to also just point out that, um, you left New York city because you had the a job opportunity of your life, which is to work for Disney. And can you, tell every- job. Yeah. can you tell everybody what you have been doing at Disney and what, what effect being able to work at a place who actually makes allyship and advocacy a part of their mission? 
what did it feel? What, Cause right now you're furloughed. Um, I think like the rest of the universe is, um, but can you just give us a little bit of what it felt like to actually have a place hold space for your advocacy? <laughs> I would love to talk about that. It's been a dream from day one. I was hired by my boss specifically because of my allyship, because of my work as an ally, as a casting director. And um, it has been transitioning to a big corporation was a massive challenge for me professionally Mm -hmm. and personally. And also having the opportunity to effect change at a huge corporation that touched so many people from all different walks of life, all different types of people across the spectrum of humanity. It has been just, I've been awestruck by the opportunities that I've had there. Um, Some of the things that we that our team has accomplished that I'm really proud of are uh, two summers ago, we did um, a show called the tale of the lion King. And it was a uh, version of the lion King story told by an all black cast. And it was told in the style of storyteller theater um, rooted in the tradition of um, Folklore, yeah, like African, African Grio. Mm. Yes. Oh, the Grio, yes. Grio. Um, and it was a beautiful, beautiful production. It was outdoors. Um, we had uh, African drums. Um, we had a beautiful cast. Uh, it, it was just, it was just the experience of sitting in the audience and watching that show and seeing black children stop and watch and be able to see themselves reflected as a king. Yes, as a king. (laughs) At a Disney park, at Disneyland. This was at Disney California Adventure Park, um, part of the Disneyland Resort. To see black children and black youth at that theater and seeing themselves reflected on stage as a king it brought me such joy to see that. And the audition process was one of the most joyful audition processes I've ever been a part of. Um, we had a, a black director, a room full of all black people and people of color uh, in the dance callback. It's dancing to African music and on African drums. It was just incredible. Um, and it was really, I felt really honored to be a part of that. And, um, it was, it was humbling to sit in the audition room and to be the white person behind the table, evaluating black performers, performing their own, their own experience. Yes. Right. And being the person that, you know, has to lead the team who is going to choose the people to tell that story. I mean, that's really uh, mind-blowing and thankfully we had um we had great leadership uh that was able to kind of guide us through that process um it was a really beautiful experience and and a really unique experience 
And then the other one is our Green Army Patrol, which is the uh, the toys from Andy's oh, Toy yes! Green Army Men. Uh, they do a little show and also at, at California Adventure every day. And um, it has been an all-male cast since the very beginning. And this year, for the first time, we had a female Sarge <gasps> leading that show. Wow. So there's been so change at a big corporation is incremental and it's very slow. It requires a lot of patience. And it was described to me by my leader when I first started as don't think of this as flipping a switch. Think of it as turning a ship Mm. by degrees, because if you try to flip that ship around too fast, it's going to break in half. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to take that metaphor into 2020, it really is perfect, right? What I see is happening now is... We've been turning that ship by degrees very, very slowly and making progress, very slow progress. Because when you look at um, progress of the Disney Corporation, you're looking at films, you're looking at TV, right. uh, media, and then you're looking at the parks. And everyone's kind of in a different place in that, in that evolution. Um, and I think what has happened here in 2020 is we've been steering the ship slowly and making progress. And because we've been moving so slowly and so carefully, nobody saw that there was an iceberg. <laughs> and now, until it was too late, and now we've smashed into that iceberg. Yes. And here we are in this place of painful rebirth. Painful rebirth. And what we've done is we've hit that iceberg and the ship is going down. The ship is down. It's yeah. done. You can't yeah. save it. And so now we are rebuilding a ship. We are. We are. We are not wow. trying to turn that old ship anymore. Oh. We're building a whole new ship. And what I think is really awesome is that we all have the capacity to contribute to the rebuilding of the ship and to get the ship turning around in the right direction in our own way. We just can't not contribute. Yes. And there is room for everybody on that ship. Yes, there is. <sighs> What a way to end this session, too, by the way. I mean, I could not have actually thought of a better metaphor um, because this new ship is run by and includes everybody. Yes. There is room. <laughs> it's like room. I've, heard, I've heard people talk about, um, you know, being behind the table, being a part of the table. and. Yeah as opposed to smashing the table and rebuilding the table, building our own damn table. Exactly. I hear that a lot. And I think it's beautiful. And it's, and it's the same sort of metaphor. That's we're not right. turning the ship anymore. We're building a new ship. We're not inviting you behind the table anymore. Mm -hmm. You're there's smashing no the table. We're all smashing the table and we're rebuilding it together. And there's room mm -hmm. for everyone behind the table. Joy, I really love you. I love you too. Thank you for being in this world with me um, in the way that we are. And I feel like even though we might put our head down on the pillow at the end of the night crying sometimes, we can say we intended to do the right thing and that we're here and we have purpose and meaning in the world. And that is to create equity. Yeah. And and um, thank you for being that person in our community and in our world and in our industry. And thank you for being that person for me as a friend and inspiration. And if you're crying on the pillow at the end of the day, just know that tomorrow is a brand new day. You get to start right. over again. 
<laughs> exactly. And isn't that the best news? You can start it all over again every day. Love you, Joy. Love you too. Hey, everybody. It's Sherry Sanders. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause and Effect. Cause and Effect is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Kyle Moore, and music by Courtney Bassett and Andrew Swackhammer of Starbird and the Phoenix. Special thanks to Stephen Farizee. Thank you. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream. You should also follow me on Instagram <laughs> at Rock the Audition. And to learn more, visit bpn.fm backslash cause and effect. Peace. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.